take your Bible, if you have it there with you, and let me invite you to turn to the 10th chapter of Daniel. Daniel chapter 10. You know, yesterday morning, um, Saturday mornings are just sort of real slow and easy times in our household. And uh, I happened to notice, the television was on early yesterday morning, I happened to notice there was a commercial, it was a Buick commercial, about a lady who gets an alert on her phone that reminds her of dinner with the Drakes later that evening. I don't know if you've seen this commercial or not, maybe you have. But she had totally forgotten that this meeting was supposed to happen, dinner with the Drakes. And so when she gets that alert on her phone, it sends her into a frenzied panic. And so she asks Alexa to start her Buick. She quickly jumps in it, she heads to the nearest grocery store, where she picks out four of the finest salmon fillets that, that she could find. She rushes home, she sets up a fancy dinner table, and along about the time that she finishes it all up, the doorbell rings, and it's the Drakes who were there to drop off their children. Dinner with the Drakes, the whole purpose of the commercial, the idea was they were supposed to watch the children of the Drakes. And the point of the commercial is that life often catches us completely by surprise. Life often catches us off guard, and somehow Buick can help with that. I don't know how they able, are able to help with that, but I guess that's the point of the commercial. Now, I'm not convinced that Buick is the best help, but it's often true that we're unprepared when things go wrong in our daily lives. When the bottom falls out of life around us, when crisis comes our way, when the pressures of life begin to mount, all too often it finds us unprepared. And when those pressures begin to mount, sometimes we begin to complain. We say things, you know, something to the fact that life should not be this way. Somehow we've convinced ourselves that life should not be this way, especially for those who love and worship God. Why is it that when we serve the Lord, when we live to please the Lord, life seems to get harder and not easier? Have you ever been surprised by that fact, by that reality? And it's true. Well, Daniel chapter 10 is a passage that will help us understand that life is hard for believers. But you see, beyond that, Daniel chapter 10 is going to explain why life is hard for believers and it will remind us that we're not alone in the midst of our struggles. And honestly, if we really understand what's being communicated in this passage, uh, it will keep us from facing life unprepared. So in our study through the book of Daniel, we come to this 10th chapter, and it's part of the fourth and final prophetic vision that's found in the book. And this vision spans all the way from chapter 10 all the way through the close of chapter 12. And so Daniel is told here at the outset of this vision uh, in these verses that we're going to look at here in chapter 10, Daniel is told that it's a, it's a vision that includes or involves a conflict, a great future conflict. And this 10th chapter really is vital because it helps us see the spiritual dimension behind conflict itself. And so really in this way, Daniel 10 shows us how the conflict we experience in life as believers 
It's often the counterpart, listen to this, of a much greater spiritual conflict that's raging in an unseen realm between conflicting kingdoms. Now, we often think about the struggles of our everyday life, all that we deal with, the conflict that we see manifesting itself even in our country at this very present moment. But have you ever stopped to consider that all of that is simply a visible manifestation of a much greater spiritual conflict that's raging behind the scenes where human eyes cannot see? Sinclair Ferguson has said of Daniel chapter 10 that it contains vital biblical insight into the nature of reality. It emphasizes that human causes and effects are not the only forces or influences that are operative in the history of the world. And listen, one of the primary reasons that life catches us off guard is because we've come to uh, expect something other than conflict. Uh, We've come to expect life to sort of be this tiptoe through the tulips, a stroll through the park. When Jesus told his his followers the exact opposite is true. In the world, Jesus said, we're going to experience conflict. We're going to experience tribulation. And the reason is because we as his followers are in the world, but we're not of the world. And we easily forget that there's a spiritual battle that's raging in an unseen realm all around us. And as the people of God, somehow we're caught somewhere in the middle of it all. It's the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 who says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our conflict is not with other human beings ultimately. But we wrestle against principalities powers, the rulers of the darkness of this present age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now, if you've ever wondered what he means by that, now let me tell you, Daniel chapter 10 will show you exactly what the Apostle Paul means. So if you've got your Bible open there, Daniel chapter 10, I want to begin reading with verse number one. The Bible says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict, or it involved a great conflict. It was about a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies. No meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, which is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled 
to hide themselves. In other words, they didn't know what was going on, but they sensed that it was something supernatural. And it was something that produced fear in their hearts. So verse 8, Daniel says, I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Now look at verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Now listen to this. Daniel has been praying for three weeks. Now this is not weeks of years like we saw back in chapter 9. This is three weeks or 21 days. Daniel's been mourning. He's been praying. He's been fasting. He's been burdened over a great conflict for 21 days and now here is this heavenly messenger telling him about something that was happening in the heavenly realms by way of spiritual conflict during that time of prayer and fasting. Now pay close attention to what happens here. Verse 15, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. And again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Which, by the way, where there's spiritual conflict, God's people need spiritual strengthening, don't we? Because we can't face the spiritual conflict that is so often involved with life in our own strength. That's something that Daniel is learning in this passage. And then verse 20, he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what's inscribed in the book of truth there is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, prince of Persia, that's mentioned a couple of times in this passage. The prince of Greece, 
this is not flesh and blood that's being referred to here, but the spiritual power behind those principalities. Fallen angelic beings. And Michael, who's mentioned here a couple of times in this chapter, this is the first time that he's mentioned in Scripture, Michael is the archangel, and we're told that later on in the New Testament. So what's being described here for Daniel is a spiritual conflict that was raging in the heavenly realms. It's what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, about how our ultimate struggle is not against flesh and blood, men and women, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. So I want to speak from this subject this morning, an invisible war, because that's what's being described here in this vision as as we're sort of given an introduction to the vision in this 10th chapter. It'll go on and be described prophetically in chapter 11 and into chapter 12, but it's an invisible war. Now, all throughout our study of the book of Daniel, we've come across a lot of interesting things. Uh, We've come across miracles, prophecy that involves future events. There's the mediation of angels and angels who come to deliver prophetic messages about the future to Daniel. And really, the subject of angels and the existence of the supernatural, uh, this is something that we see mentioned multiple times all throughout the 12 chapters of the book of Daniel. And more than once in the book, we've seen Daniel receive the help of angels. Now, here's the thing. Without a supernatural worldview that's produced in you as a man or a woman, produced by the Holy Spirit, the Bible will remain strange and irrelevant to you. Because the subject of angels and the subject of supernatural, this is not just something that's dealt with in the 12 chapters of the book of Daniel, but it's something that we see uh, mentioned throughout the Bible from Genesis all the way through the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And this rationalistic approach of the modern mind has got to be abandoned when we come to the text of God's Word. And the world we live in, the culture that surrounds us, has a way of processing life, uh, processing existence, but that understanding is rooted in unbelief. Uh, In many ways, the world is like a man in a dark room trying to describe the layout of the room. And without light, it would be a futile attempt. And that's not to say that he can't make some general observations based on his other senses, but without the light, even what he's able to observe is imperfect. And listen, without the intervening grace of God in my life and your life, we would totally be in the dark as it comes to processing our existence and the realities of our existence in the world. We'd totally be able to um, uh, understand the meaning of our existence. We couldn't discern our problems. We'd have no way of possessing hope for living. But you see, God's word sheds light on our condition, and the Bible tells us that there's a whole lot more going on in the world around us simply than meets the eye. That's something that Daniel is learning here in this 10th chapter. It's something that he already knew, but it's something that he's learning in a personal way. Which, by the way, I realize I'm preaching to the majority of believers, so I'm preaching to the choir this morning. 
And we believe in the existence of the supernatural. We understand that the Bible is a supernatural book. Uh, There's not a person I would imagine uh, in this room who probably would deny the existence of angels and demons and that kind of thing. We believe that, but it's so easy for us to get caught up in a materialistic way of living that we simply give lip service to the supernatural understanding that's really required for us to be able to process the truth of God's word. And so let me tell you what I want to do this morning before I really get into this text, which I want to spend a week or two in this passage of Scripture as it relates to the supernatural and spiritual warfare. But before we get into this text, uh, there's some preliminary considerations that we've got to make first. And these preliminary considerations will greatly help us in our understanding of what's going on here in Daniel chapter 10. Without these, you would be in the dark as far as Daniel chapter 10 is concerned. So what are these preliminary truths? Well, truth number one, there is an unseen realm. It's the first thing that you need to understand as you come to uh, this, this particular chapter, there is an unseen realm. Daniel's eyes are opened up in this passage to see what is typically unseen. The veil that separates the material world from the spiritual world is momentarily pulled back, and the resulting vision shows us how the things which are seen ultimately are influenced by the things which are unseen. And let me say that again. This passage shows us how the things which are seen, the things that happen, ultimately are influenced by things that are unseen. And you've got to have that fundamental understanding as far as life is concerned. It's absolutely vital to you. Because listen, you will not understand life if you fail to grasp this truth. If you go through life solely on the basis of relying upon your five senses with no spiritual understanding whatsoever, you will not be able to process your place in the world. I want you to keep your finger here, but go to, go to Ephesians chapter 6. And I want you to see what the Apostle Paul actually tells the Ephesian church about this very subject. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, verse 11, verse 12. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now look at verse 12. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the Apostle Paul is clear here in his assertion that our real struggle as the people of God, the source of that struggle is in this unseen realm. That which is unseen influences and affects that which is seen. There is an unseen realm. There are spiritual entities in that realm who try to keep humanity blinded to the truth. In fact, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he says that the God of this world, it's not a reference to God most high, but it's a reference to the devil, 
The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light. That is, the unseen realm, sinister, dark forces in that unseen realm work overtime to keep people blinded to the reality of their existence. That's what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now listen, I know this is an interesting subject, and I don't have to work hard to convince you that there's a lot of fascination, even unhealthy preoccupation with angels and demons in our culture. All the way from movies and television, uh, science fiction genre, novels, and all of that, you add to that this quest to find life beyond our solar system. It's amazing how our government can come up with so much, millions upon millions of dollars to send probes into outer space to see whether or not there is intelligent life beyond our solar system. We're not even sure there's intelligent life in Washington, D.C., much less the solar system and beyond. But here's the thing. When it comes to the subject of the angelic and demonic, we tend to gravitate toward two extremes. And C.S. Lewis pointed this out. He said there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the demonic. One is to disbelieve in their existence. That's one extreme. He says the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. In other words, to believe that there, is, there are angels and demons in that unseen realm but we become so fixated upon the demonic that we blame everything in our life upon the devil. The devil made me do this, and the devil made me do that. And we come up with this rationale that tries to find a demon behind every bush in our life. And that is an extreme. The thing is, we want to avoid both extremes. But of the two, I'm of the conviction that we're more prone to ignore the unseen realm. In our secular age, with all of its technology, with all, with all of its sophistication, it's become much more challenging to deal with the subject of the supernatural. I mean, many people will argue that angels and demons are merely superstition. We look for scientific explanations behind the happenings of our world rather than spiritual explanations. And, and even those who are in power now, they say, trust the science. Follow the science. Folks, let me tell you something. Science is based upon that which is observable. And there are some things that science has no answer for. Not the least of which is your existence in the universe. And the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, that it's by faith we understand that the universe was made by that which is unseen. The things which are visible were made by that which is invisible. And without that understanding, you're not going to be able to process anything else in the world around you. You'll be able to observe things that, happening, but, but that happen, but ultimately you'll have no real answer for or explanation for. Well, the Bible reflects God's knowledge of the universe rather than man's knowledge of the universe. And don't you think as the sovereign God and the architect of the universe and the one who's spoken life into existence, don't you, know, don't you believe that he knows ultimately what's going on? He knows what's happening in the seen realm and the unseen realm. 
that which is visible and that which is invisible. And that's why Daniel needed wisdom and insight from a source other than himself. So ultimately, aside from the Bible, there's nowhere else for us to turn to on this subject. So this underlying truth that you need to, this preliminary truth that you need to have as you come to this passage is this. There is an unseen realm. And that is the assertion of Scripture from cover to cover. Now, there's a second fundamental truth that you need, and it's this. We have an undetected enemy. There is an unseen realm, but we have an undetected enemy. And in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel learns of a spiritual resistance behind his prayer life. You remember how we talked about Daniel being a man of prayer, and you see this illustrated in, in, in almost every chapter of this book? It was his commitment to prayer that led him to being thrown into the lion's den. Uh, it was in response to his prayer that he's given the prophetic vision of the future in chapter 9. And here in this 10th chapter, we, we discover that Daniel is praying, he's fasting for a period of three weeks, and during that three-week time frame, there is a spiritual resistance that's being carried out to Daniel's prayer life. There is an unseen realm, but folks, there is an undetected enemy. We have an enemy who lurks in the shadows. As an adversary, he works to oppose the kingdom of God and the rule of Jesus Christ on earth. Again, you go back to what the Apostle Paul is saying there to the Ephesian believers. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so there, in clear terms, he tells the church who the church's enemy really is. It's our responsibility to put on the armor of God, to stand in the strength of the Holy Spirit so that we might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In fact, the, the Greek word that's translated there as schemes, it's the same word we get the word method or methods from. He's saying you need to, to know something about how this enemy of yours operates. You have an undetected enemy and that enemy uses a certain methodology to try to trip you up in your life as a believer. That enemy has a certain methodology that he employs by which he seeks to keep people blinded to the reality of their existence and the fact that there is a hope far greater than any hope in this world and there's a salvation and forgiveness and eternal life and satisfaction that's found in Jesus Christ unlike anything that this world can produce. The enemy wants to keep people blind to that reality. And so he has methods that he employs, and, and our, our eyes need to be open to those methodologies. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these principalities, against spiritual wickedness in the unseen realm. Now, folks, let me tell you something. If for one split second your physical eyes were opened up to the spiritual forces that do battle against your soul every day, it would forever change the way you live your life and approach spiritual things. Did you know that? Uh, you would take prayer much more seriously than you do now. You'd be more sensitive to the truth of Scripture. You'd, you'd not be so quick to judge your circumstances. 
We're all too quick to judge our circumstances, aren't we? Oh, God's against me because of all of this opposition that I seem to be facing. And oftentimes, we want to lay the blame at the feet of God for the crises and the challenges and the disappointments that we experience in life. When in reality, somewhere along the way, we've forgotten that there is an unseen realm and there are malevolent, evil, sinister, undetected spiritual forces that wage war against our souls every day. So, so listen, this is what Paul is doing in Ephesians chapter 6. He's opening up the spiritual eyesight of believers so that we would be alert to the presence of this undetected enemy. And he goes on to say that life is so serious that it demands we be armored up. Which means the Christian life, it's not a playground, it's a battleground. And yet all too often we approach it as if it were a playground and we were children on some playground. No, the the, the Christian life is a battleground and we need weapons to combat this enemy. And the armor that we've been given is spiritual in nature because the conflict that we're in is spiritual in nature. And then in Ephesians 6, Paul goes on to talk about the spiritual weaponry that are ours in Christ Jesus. And then ultimately, the way that we do battle is is on our knees in prayer before God. Where's the battlefield? Prayer doesn't simply equip us for the battle. Prayer is the battle. It's the battlefield where we wage war. So the identity then of this enemy, listen, knowing who the enemy is is half the battle. Daniel is made aware of the fact in this 10th chapter that the prince of Persia and later the prince of Greece, these dark, sinister, malevolent forces, this is the enemy. The apostle Paul tells the Ephesian Christians that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but ultimately it's the devil and his emissaries This is the enemy of the church. This is the enemy of the people of God. And isn't it interesting as you read the Bible from from Genesis 3 all the way through the end of the Bible, there's there's this serpent who's there behind the scenes, lurking in the shadows, in rebellion against God. There's a myriad of angels who were in league with him, waging war against the kingdom of God, but ultimately they're subject to God and his sovereignty. Let me tell you something. Don't think one split second that the devil is on the same level as our God. Because he's not. He is a created being. He's a fallen angel. He is created. He is subject to God. Uh, He's accountable to God. And by the way, I think that the book of Job shows you that real quick in the first couple of chapters. That the enemy can't touch your life without permission from God himself. So who is our enemy? The enemy is the devil. And the devil is not merely a symbol for evil. You know, evil is is not just something that is, is true in theory. There is indeed an evil at work in our world. And behind the evil in our world, there is a very real personality known as Satan the deceiver of the nations. In 2 Corinthians 4, he's referred to as the ruler of this present world system. Ephesians 2 refers to him as the prince of the power of the air. 
1 John 5.19 says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, as in the fallen world of humanity, this present world system. Revelation 12, he's described as a great red dragon. John calls him uh, the serpent of old, which was a reference to his presence in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent. And that implies his sinister and cunning agenda. That's his identity. That's the identity of our enemy. What about his activity? Uh, He's very active as the enemy of God's people. And he and the angels who are in league with him are engaged in a contest for the souls of people. And the enemy is very much interested in keeping people blinded to their sin and their need for God's grace. And his activity is extensive. In fact, the, um, the Apostle Paul, when he's given his testimony in Acts chapter 26, he told about how when Jesus appeared to him and, and, and called him and saved him, uh, the Lord told the Apostle Paul that his ministry would be to open blinded eyes that they might turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Lest we forget, let me tell you something, the work of the church goes far beyond business meetings and committee meetings and services. The work of the church, we've been given a ministry of reconciliation that involves the opening up of blinded eyes. And folks, we need supernatural power for this mission that we've been entrusted with to declare the gospel. And the enemy and the enemy's forces work against us in the carrying out of this mission. Because he doesn't want to see the kingdom of God come upon the earth. And so what does he do? He tries to counteract God's sovereign rule. He tries to counterfeit God's truth. All in an attempt to keep people blind to the reality behind their existence. And Satan uses his angels to influence the affairs of nations, and this is especially true in their opposition to God's plan as it involves the nation of Israel, as it involves the church. Don't you find it interesting that the nation of Israel, that throughout the generations of humanity, the Jewish people have maintained their own personal identity, even though it's been against just an overwhelming avalanche of resistance down through the generations of humanity? You think about all that the pharaohs of Egypt were, how they wanted to try to keep the the Israelites in bondage in Egypt as their slaves. Or what about the Philistines and the enemies of God's people that we read about in the Old Testament? Or what about the Babylonians who carried them away into captivity or the Assyrian threat before them? What about Nazi Germany and the Holocaust? Or what about wicked Haman before Adolf Hitler? Don't you see that there's a common thread that's woven throughout human history and there's a common hatred that's been leveled against the Jewish nation and against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which began at Pentecost? And the source behind that opposition, listen, it's not flesh and blood. The source behind that is the serpent of Eden. The great red dragon who's described in Revelation. That malevolent enemy who is behind the scenes, lurking in the shadows of the unseen realm. 
And folks, that's the enemy that we're up against. And listen, once you understand that, it will help you as a believer not get so angry and bitter when you see what's happening in the world around you. Our hearts grieve over the agenda that the new administration in Washington has adopted. But let's not be mistaken. The real enemy is not a politician. It's not flesh and blood. The enemy is the devil who seeks to blind people, who, who, who does everything that he can to try to destroy humanity. That's why Jesus said he's a murderer and a liar. And Satan's not interested in the success of the human race. Satan wants one thing and one thing only, and that's the destruction of the human race. Which is why every policy that is against God and against God's revealed truth in Scripture ultimately, listen to me. You think of the, the, the transgender movement that we're seeing now in our culture and the open acceptance of homosexuality in our culture and abortion on demand in our culture and the legislation behind that that wants to just convince the world. And by the way, now as a nation, we're once more outsourcing and paying for abortions abroad, which is nothing more than sanctioning the murder of human life in the womb. And listen, every single one of those policies does not lead to human flourishing. God is, God is interested in the flourishing of humanity. But the enemy of our soul ultimately wants to see the destruction of humanity. So folks, listen, there's an unseen realm. That's the first truth that you need, you need to understand as you come to this passage. There is an undetected enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. But the third preliminary truth, and I want to be done with this, life involves an unwanted conflict. There's an unseen realm, an undetected enemy, and because of that, life for you as a Christian man or woman involves an unwanted conflict. I mean, there's none of us who really want to sign up for suffering in the world. I mean, who wants that? Who wants to sign up for persecution? Who wants to sign up for difficult? There's not a one of us who would willingly want to sign up for that. But listen, that is our inheritance as far as this world and this world system is concerned. That's why Jesus said you'll have tribulation in the world. Because there are evil forces that war against our souls. The darkness tries to extinguish, extinguish the light of God that you are as believers. And the kind of spiritual conflict that we see in Daniel's life here in Daniel 10, it will affect us all at some level or another. And very often, the greater the threat you are to the kingdom of darkness, the more heat you're going to face in life. And if for one second we weren't experiencing any heat from the culture around us or the world around us, we'd better check our calling. Are you listening? Is your life so much of a threat to hell that hell itself has taken notice of you. Is our church so much a threat to hell that hell has taken notice of Green Street Baptist Church or High Point Christian Academy 
or every ministry ultimately that happens on this campus or by people who belong to this church who are involved in in the greater triad area and beyond, has hell taken notice? See, the thing is, before we were saved, we were completely unaware of this conflict that rages between kingdoms. But salvation means that the light switch has now been turned on. And for the first time, you're truly able to see things the way that they are. There is a conflict raging between good and evil, darkness and light, heaven and hell. And we live at the epicenter of that conflict. Your life as a believer is ground zero. And the battle may manifest itself in your circumstances, but listen, ultimately the real source of opposition, it's always spiritual in nature. And we know this, but somehow we easily forget it, don't we? You know, Chip Ingram, I don't know if you listen to Chip Ingram much, but but Chip Ingram has actually taught on this, and he's written a couple of books on the subject of spiritual warfare. But listen to this. Chip Ingram says that somehow we start thinking that the problem is a spouse, a child, a boss, a policy, an illness, or a circumstance. And these symptoms are easy to see, but they're often just symptoms, not the source of the problem. And behind many of the things that we see on the surface is an arch enemy who wants to destroy our very lives. We tend to get caught up with the flesh and blood resistance that we face. But listen, that's not the enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against a spiritual enemy. And because of this, folks, let me tell you something. Prayer is that much more important, isn't it? Because when you realize that the main source of conflict in your life is spiritual, then you're going to turn to those spiritual resources that have been given to you in Christ rather than looking for some material solution to your problem. It's all too easy for us to want to look to some kind of material escape to the problems and the conflicts that we have in life. But if you understand that the real conflict is spiritual and not material, you'll recognize the spiritual resources that you've been given and not turn to those material things that will dash your hopes ultimately. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. Though we live our lives in the flesh, we don't, we don't do battle in the flesh. Uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, for the casting down of arguments, and every high and lofty thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the obedience of Christ. And then he says this in, in verse 7 of that same passage, do you look at things merely on the outward appearance as they appear outwardly? In other words, do you judge your life and the happenings of your life as they are on the surface? Do you approach life strictly from a surface level or do you approach it from a spiritual level? Now, folks, your prayer life is an indicator of how much you truly believe life is a spiritual battle. Your prayer life. Your relationship to God's word, your relationship to other believers, this is also another, another indication of how you really view the nature of the conflict. For the person who truly understands where the battle is, prayer is important, the Bible's important, God's word is important, God's people, the church is important. Fellowship, the gathered assembly of the body, small group ministry, serving in the church, sharing the gospel, uh, making disciples, all of this will be prioritized 
in the life of the person who truly understands the source of the battle and the nature of the conflict. Now I want to give you some good news as I, as I ramp this up. In our struggle against these evil forces in this unseen realm, do you know that you're not fighting for victory, but you're fighting from victory? Because the Bible says in 1 John 3, 8, that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So the conflict and the hostility and the animosity often that's leveled at you because of your, your obedience to Christ and your walk with God and the spiritual oppression often that you sense in your life and the heaviness of heart that you sense as a believer. Listen to me, you're not fighting for victory. But man, you are fighting from a position of victory that has been given to you in Jesus Christ. And that's good news. That frees you up as a man or a woman. Martin Luther ultimately understood this. Man, Martin Luther in the Reformation, he faced an onslaught from hell and the apostate church and the world around him. As he rediscovered those Reformation doctrines, grace alone, faith alone, the glory of God alone, scripture alone. But Luther understood something about the battle that he was in. He recognized that it was ultimately a spiritual conflict. He, he knew that he didn't wrestle against flesh and blood. And that's why Luther wrote these words. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. And armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sebaoth his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. And that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And aren't you grateful to be a part of that kingdom in Jesus' name? Let's stand as we pray this morning. Let's stand heads bowed, eyes closed. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, let me encourage you, oh, listen, in an attitude of repentant faith, turn to Jesus Christ who died for your sins upon the cross and rose again from the dead. He's victorious over the evil one. And if you're trying to, to, to make sense of your existence by, by just looking around at what's seen, listen to me, you'll never, you'll never ultimately find what you're looking for. because you'll only find 
your ultimate satisfaction in the life of God. And that's extended to you as a free gift through the Lord Jesus Christ who reconciles sinful man to a holy God. Do you know him this morning? If not, why not now? Why not today? Today's the day of salvation. Christian man or woman, do you, do you sense a heavy burden as you live in your life? Are you going through some type of conflict? Maybe it's caught you unprepared and off guard and you've been disturbed and challenged and burdened. Maybe even tempted to want to blame flesh and blood for your problems. But let me remind you, you wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness, and heavenly places. But victory is yours in your Savior. Lord, in Jesus' name, thank you for the truth of your word. And God, we come to a passage like Daniel chapter 10 or Ephesians chapter 6. Thank you, Lord, that it truly helps open our eyes to the nature of the reality of what's going on in the world around us. God, may we be engaged in prayer as a church like never before. Lord, may we understand that the, the gospel is a, the word of power that's been given to us. Your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. You've given us all that we need, Lord, as we face the battle and the heat of the battle every day. Empower us by your spirit. May we be filled with the spirit, dressed for battle, the armor of God, and understanding ultimately, Lord, that the battlefield is when we're on our knees. Thank you, Lord, for the comfort and the encouragement that your word brings. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.